0: To the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real-life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. My next guest is someone who has the grit and passion to motivate everyone around her to strive for more. From becoming a best-selling author, to podcasting, and so much more, this woman has made an impact in so many people's lives. While striving to be the best version of herself every day, she continually pours into others while smiling the entire time. Let's give a superhero by design. Welcome to Lee Brown. Lee welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Ace. It's so good to be with you today and thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on. Like I said, in the intro, you've done so many amazing things and I definitely want to jump into it, but for everybody listening. And doesn't know who Lee Brown is, she is a very successful real estate broker, a forward thinking CEO, a number one, multiple best selling author, honest coach, and keynote speaker. She helps investors of all experience levels build or rebuild their professional presence and confidence by helping them define and communicate their value proposition early. Her goal is to empower agents and brokers to become an impactful presence. In their community. For more information on her and her services, go to her website, leebrown.com. And Lee is spelled L E I G H. All right, Lee, we talked about this a little bit before the show. You've done so many amazing things from being a bestselling author to having an amazing podcast. And for people listening, it is called Crazy Shit in Real Estate. And I don't usually cuss on the show. But this is kind of a microcosm of the amazing presence that you bring, not only to yourself and your clients, but to your community overall. However, before we jump into all those amazing things, I'd like to get into a little bit of the origin story, the background of who you are, where you came from, and how you became the person you are today. So you can start anywhere. You can start two, three years old, 12, 13, 14. Can you just give us a little bit of background on who you are?
1: Well, I live right now in the county where I grew up in North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. The place where I grew up was next door to my grandparents, which was a farm that was tiny in the land grant days in the 1700s. Then my granddad expanded it during the Great Depression when he bought bought some additional acreage. So I grew up in a typical rural Southern family, meaning everybody pitched in because we never had, you know, extra. It wasn't a money kind of an upbringing. It was a, we have plenty and we have each other. So that's how I grew up and I was ready to go off to college. So like most kids, I decided I need to be away from home. So I took a music scholarship and went to Florida State University, became Seminole. Got wildly homesick and came back to Chapel Hill because that's where my mama had gone to school. And when I got to Chapel Hill, I had to give up all my scholarships. And my mom and dad said, We're so glad you're coming home. Figure out how to pay for it because that's my upbringing and I'm grateful for it every day. So I waited tables at night to pay for college and that's what got me into bartending. And because I was paying for it, I hustled myself through school. And as soon as I graduated a year early, I decided, Well, I'll just keep bartending because what else am I gonna do with myself? And while I was bartending, I was recruited by one of my regulars to become a stockbroker. So I moved to Manhattan, lived in Murray Hill. For any of your listeners or viewers who are familiar with the city, this was in the nineties. And so it was before Murray Hill got cleaned up and I worked down in Seaport Plaza. In fact, my kids don't believe this fact, but my friends and I at the securities firm used to have cocktails at Windows on the World, which was the bar at the top of one of the World Trade Center towers. And we went there to prospect for clients. So that was one of those things in my history that's it has gone now, which is really weird to think about. But I, I hated living in Manhattan. And you can probably guess why. When you are up north, they immediately deduct 100 IQ points if you're Southern. And I just got tired of it, didn't like no grass. I didn't like the way people behave when you're dealing with their money. There's a whole different way that people react and I just, I didn't like it. And so I was at home one weekend and being in the greater Charlotte market, there's a lot of companies here. In fact, what's funny about Charlotte is we're the smallest big city that nobody really thinks about when you list big cities. We're number 16 in the country But people forget they've ever been here except when they're in the airport. It's kind of hilarious. And so I was at home one weekend and I was going up the highway and I saw the North American headquarters for Husqvarna, which is a Swedish company, premium chainsaws, weed trimmers and lawnmowers. And I said, well, we have a Husqvarna chainsaw at the house. And so why don't I just see if they're hiring? And so I pulled into the parking lot, walked inside and the sales manager heard me talking and he came over and asked me if i wanted to talk and i did and i got hired that day because as it turns out they didn't have any women on the sales force at the time and were anxious to have one so i got hired in quit my wall street job and started working in the chainsaws weed trimmers and lawnmower world and i went from the charlotte headquarters to iowa and when i moved to iowa these people are all like why why are you moving here because at the time Iowa was a net exporter of people. Nobody moved there on purpose. And so I got to see the entire state. And I like to brag, I'm the only person not running for president that's been in all 99 Iowa counties. And that was because I was out serving my client base. And then my company moved me from Iowa to Texas. And I had an even bigger territory there and loved living in Texas. But then they were about to uproot me and move me to New Jersey. And I had to say I can't. I can't. I, I just can't go back up north again. That is not my people. And they said, but it's only for a year. Then we're going to move you again, because they had this plan of letting me come in, help straighten out a territory, and then they could hire somebody to come in behind me to maintain, and I could move on. And I, I said, I'm not going to live like that. I want to get married and have kids. And so I left Husqvarna and I had talked to my mom and dad. I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm, now that's three things I've done since college. Nothing's fitting. What do I do? And my dad, who'd been in real estate since 1978, had been telling me all along, just come get in real estate with me. And like most kids, I, no, I don't want to do what daddy does. And at that point, I was just so burned out on the corporate world and I just could not figure out how I fit in. I just, came home and, and jumped in with my dad. And that was 23 years ago. And since then, my dad is retired now. We owned our own franchise. And then we, when my dad retired out, I took over the franchise and then I merged in with another franchisor in my area just because I didn't wanna be a lone wolf. And then I sold those shares in 2020 and opened a, a small boutique firm which is where I operate now, and I love it. And it's so probably perfect for somebody like me who didn't fit into a Wall Street environment where you have very strict expectations or even corporate sales, where again, you have strict expectations, because in real estate, you have so much freedom that people fail and you have so many pathways that you can get distracted, but it also helps those of us that get bored easily find somewhere else to channel energy. So I'm, I'm grateful every day that my dad had found his path in real estate and that he had raised me alongside that pathway so I could come back to it when the moment happened.
0: Yeah, no, that's incredible. It's, it's definitely a full circle story. Now, growing up in the South, I'm I'm a West Coast guy. I live in the South now. But my ex-wife was from rural Dal- or the rural Dallas area at the time. Dallas has expanded quite a bit over the last couple decades. Um, but I've got to know a lot of her family over the years and everything like that. And you had mentioned going to FSU and then also uh, eventually uh, pushing yourself, supporting yourself through college, all of that. That's not a typical Southern story. That's not a typical rural Southern story. You know, A lot of my XYS family, they, I, I would joke, I said, they're, they're babies having babies, but that doesn't seem like it's your story. Can you talk a little bit about your parents and the culture of your family that essentially it sounds like supported you, your mission, your dreams, and everything you wanted to do in life? for more rather than just settling starting a family early and instead working on a career
1: well i mean frankly i was never going to start a family early because nobody wanted to ask me out my first date was a blind date (laughs) when i was 17 so it's not exactly a risk factor (laughs) for me at the time and i can show lots of pictures that might showcase why that was a problem but also i was so withdrawn and shy like i didn't talk to anybody i was so introverted I did not know at the time that I would find a, a built-in skill set for public speaking because I, I, I tell young people this all the time. You think you know who you are at 16, 17, 18, and you have no idea because until you try a lot of different things, some of your skills just never have a chance to come to the surface. Well, my parents all along had always encouraged myself and my sister to just go try things, do whatever you want to do. And to let us know it's okay to be smart. It's okay to be opinionated. And my dad must've said a thousand times, it's going to take somebody really special to put up with you. And he didn't mean that in an ugly way. And I know yeah. people don't cuss on your show, but my old boss at Husqvarna had always said he would call me at five in the morning because he knew I was up. I'm a very early bird. And he would say, I pity the poor bastard that winds up married to you. And so when I got married to my husband who we are celebrating 20 years this year, I had invited my old boss and his wife and he walked over and I said, this is a poor bastard. And so it was a really fun joke. But I mean, my parents just said, look, you, you got to figure this out. We're here. We support you, but go figure things out. And the biggest gift they gave me, and it's also the biggest gift I've tried to give my kids is the foundational roots that come from family, which I think is, definitely more of a Southern thing than anywhere else in the world. Because I know all of my first cousins, I'm one of 18 on one side of the family. And I know all their spouses and the couple that have had to make some marital adjustments. I know their ex-spouses too. And then there's all of these uh, extra grandkids and we have spares and strays that come to the reunion. And I've told my kids like, this is the best thing in the world. You don't even know these people really well, but because you are kin to them, They will do anything for you. And when you know that you have any kind of a support structure, it's far easier to go try things. And I think that's one thing a lot of people get held back on is they just don't know that somebody cares enough about them that they're free to go try it. And if it fails, you can come back. And that's one of the issues I have, frankly, with cancel culture and this environment that we have that says if you make a mistake, you must be burned to the ground. And that's not what life should be like. It should be, you try something, it doesn't work. It might not even be called a mistake or a failure. It might just be called something that didn't work. And that we say, well, come on back, it's fine. And then go try something else. And I was just always given that ability. But at the same time, I was expected to uphold the family name and not embarrass my family. And, and don't don't tell my kids every day, don't embarrass Jesus when you go out into the world. And so we've lived this space of go do things, but be honorable and go try things, but do the work. Because I was definitely raised with a work ethic expectation of in summer vacation, my friends might have been sleeping in. I was expected to be up picking cantaloupes and hoeing the tomato plants because that's what everybody does. You get up and you pitch in and then we... With haul wood in the summer when it was 1000 degrees because you had to have something to stock the wood stove in the winter. And our house was probably one of the last ones to get central air. So I remember laying in the bed, just wishing the air would move. And then the, you cut the attic fan on and the air would move and you kind of wished it didn't because it was hot and humid and heavy. But I'm grateful for that because it gives me an appreciation for what it takes to have the comforts of life and frankly i i've told my husband a thousand times i wish that my kids had lived a slightly rougher childhood so they would appreciate what they have and like every other parent i want to give my kids things that protect them from the rough spots that i had and i should let them have the rough spots because my parents we we had our rough spots but we didn't dwell on it and we weren't victims of anything it was just all right we don't have enough money this month therefore when the Kool-Aid is halfway done, put some water in it and you'll keep having Kool-Aid. And so we stretched. And one of our dinners that we would have at night, I always thought it was delightful as a kid. My dad made hot dogs and eggs, which was scrambled eggs with a hot dog sliced into it. I did not understand as a child that that was a high protein, super cheap meal. As a kid, I thought, well, this is a fun supper because my parents just said, we figure it out and we keep moving. So as I look at my pathway and all the hiccups I've had, it's all right, figure it out, keep moving, figure it out, keep moving. And it's where I am right now as a medium-aged person where I'm trying to figure out what do I do with the 30 years of productive life I have left? What, What do I want to do with this time? Because this time is so precious and I see it differently now than I did as a child. And I've got to figure this out, but that's what I was raised on, figure it out keep moving. I mean, my, my dad came to real estate from selling insurance, which he didn't like. And so as a kid, i watched my dad make choices so that he could figure out something that would A, provide for the family, but B, provide him some kind of enjoyment. And then my mom was, she's the youngest of eight. And I say was, she's not dead, she's retired. And so she's the youngest of eight. And she worked at the TV station. Well, she was in operations management. She was the detail person. And had she gone to a different college than Carolina, probably should have been an engineer, but she did not want to do what her brothers did. And then she went from the TV station. She got laid off in some mass layoffs in the 80s when there was a lot of restructuring. If you think about that, was the savings and loan crisis. And young people, you should all know that the issues we have in the economy now have had lots of mirror situations and other cycles. And so quit acting like everything's brand new, but she (laughs) left that and started a restaurant and a sports marketing company with one of her partners. And here's my mom, an engineer's mind with this entrepreneurial streak, which she denies to this day that she had any impact on anything because she's the most humble, sweet person you'll ever meet. But when I've explained that to my kids, they're like, you mean mama owned a restaurant? I'm like, yeah, mama owned a restaurant. The sweet woman over here who just loves on you owned a restaurant. And so they have this real interesting cognitive dissonance with what they think about their older grandmother and how she was when she was my age and younger. And so anyway, long answer to your question, but there's, there's just all these different interlocking things that it depends on how you want to look at it. I could have looked at my childhood as we were broke poor us. But it wasn't. We were we were stretched, but I never was made to feel like we were broke. Now, that did mean that if I wanted extras, I had to go get them. And so I started babysitting at a really young age and loved being the, probably the most requested babysitter in the church. Just going to point that out. I was number one. But those kids that I babysat for, I've gotten invited to their weddings and I've gotten their birth announcements from their kids. And so in the True Southern fashion, whether you're blood kin or not, we're all kin, and I think that's what might actually solve some of the problems we have in society now where we quit trying to put people in little check boxes and what if we just looked at everybody as well we we might be kin somewhere down the line, so we just as well be respectful towards each other even if we disagree.
0: no I agree, I agree, and my faith walk is probably a lot in line with yours. I believe everybody is a child of God. And should be treated as such. And I, I love what you're saying because you, you're taking what some people might say as a, you know, a, a scarcity mindset or a victim mindset. Like I grew up poor; I wasn't given the same opportunities as ABC. You know, name three people. And so I love how you took that and and you took some amazing things. Like you said, anytime you tried something and failed, you had the ability to come back. To the structure to the support of your family even if it's you know somebody twice removed married three or four times like they're still your family they're still your support system you're gonna love them unconditionally and yes you had to stretch your family had to stretch things out but if you wanted something then that's the motivation to go and get it take action live the life that you want to live and so I just I think that's such an important thing that we all have our stories. We all have our baggage. We all have our past, but it's really the meaning that we put to it that either propels us forward or holds us back. You know, it's it's like looking at a superhero and a supervillain, right? They both have usually have traumatic experiences, but one uses that tra- traumatic event to empower them to become a superhero and someone else same story, same situation, but uses it in a disempowering way. So, I really appreciate you saying that. One thing I want to jump into you do, you had mentioned spending a lot of time in sales, but you also had mentioned being a traditional introvert as well. Um, how has that helped you with sales and helped you form relationships? Because sales and relationships is a huge part of life, whether it's business or personal, right? Getting a spouse, a partner. Um, can you talk a little bit about how? you used being an introvert as an advantage for sales.
1: Well, I mean, I'm an INTJ and I do tell all kinds of people, go take the old Myers-Briggs test. Cause I still think that's one of the best ways to get a better understanding of who you are before you start trying to tell other people who they are, which I believe that comes from the social media mindset of we want to figure out who somebody else is without doing that deep dive personally because it can be painful to look at yourself and realize all your flaws and all of your hiccups and hangups. But that's also the best way to figure out where your connectivity is because I know what my challenges are and the more vulnerable I am about that, the more attractive that is to other people. And it's that law of attraction that does create sales and it creates conversations and it creates relationships. And I would have told you as a younger person that introverts couldn't make it in sales. Because if you look at any any play, I mean, look at Death of a Salesman, or look on TV, think um, about—I don't know how old you are, but do you remember when Saturday Night Live was still funny and Chris Farley (laughs) was on there, and he did the motivational speaker thing, living in a van down by the river, and that's the mentality we often think of for salespeople—they're in your face, they're getting it done, rah rah rah. But a lot of salespeople are not actually extroverts. Extroverts are just people who are filled up by talking to other people. Introverts are drained by talking to other people. It doesn't mean I'm not skilled at talking to strangers. It doesn't mean I can't go into a networking event and make myself known. All it means is that the more conversations I have, my battery is dipping. So by nine o'clock, I'm done, I'm at zero, I'm vanishing. An extrovert who spent the same amount of time in the room has gotten more and more juiced up and they want to go to the bar and hang out and talk all night because they just got more and more filled up. Both of those personality types can work in any situation, as long as you understand which one you are and why you start to feel like you're withdrawing. You're withdrawing because you're on empty and that's okay. And when I look at sales, especially in real estate, because in real estate, we are selling what is for most people their single biggest financial instrument. They will never buy something as big as their house. It's the largest amount of debt most people take on. And it's overwhelming. And then they make it happen and get inside it. And now it's all the emotion. It's the babies came home from the hospital here. And my mom had her last Thanksgiving here. And we bought these floors on sale at Lumber Liquidators. And I put them in myself and you can't even tell. And people tell stories about where they live and everything is intertwined while it is also this big giant pile of debt slash equity slash money. And I think almost anything else we purchase in life is one or the other. So we make emotional purchases or we make financial purchases, but the house is both. And that's where introverts do have an ability because an introvert's gonna have an easier time shutting up while the other person Mm -hmm. talks. Yep. Just by nature. Extroverts don't like quiet time. And so if there's a pause, an extrovert wants to dial in and fill it up. However, if you have two introverts talking and they both pause, somebody's going to have to break the silence. If you have two extroverts that won't shut up, somebody's got to allow the other person to finish a sentence. And, And both of those are valuable and valid. I will say this as a speaker and a trainer in the sales space, when people find out I'm an introvert, they're shocked. Cause they're like, well, how can you get on a stage? I'm like, well, if you look at the research, most of your public speakers by nature are introverts because we are excellent at presenting to anonymity. The larger the crowd, the more anonymity is in it. And so I can give yep. and give and give, but I'm not going to be drained by having to hear from all of those people. It doesn't mean I don't want to hear from them, but the amount of bandwidth that I'm going to have is limited. An extrovert on the stage wants to physically talk to all 500 people in the room, which is not possible. And that can really result in a painful speaking experience because they want people to come to the microphone. They want to interact with everybody. Well, then the audience loses interest because they came for a specific purpose. So when I'm on the stage, I can present a viewpoint. I can present action items and ideas and give people something. And then when I come off the stage, there are people that want to come get more, and I can handle that. So it's just, a, it's just interesting to dig into it a little bit. And what's even more interesting is I'm married to an engineer, and so you can already guess if I say he's an engineer, obviously he's an introvert. He's the guy who likes to tell jokes behind his hand to the one person sitting with him. And he's hilarious and super snarky, and the whole room doesn't know about it. And both of my kids are also super-duper introverts. They have a hard time coming out of their shell. My son has his three friends. They think he's hilarious, but nobody else knows that. My daughter is the one-friend kind of person. So because they're teenagers, I often get this, Mom, you're fake. I'm like, I'm not fake. But I've learned how to give other people what they need. And that's one of the most important things in sales is it's not about what I'm looking to gain from it. It's what does the other person need? Real estate to me is the purest form of sales because whatever house is on the market doesn't matter if it's not what the other person needs. I'm currently working with a couple who are managing aging parents. It's one of the biggest challenges in life that you're never adequately prepared for. And so they're trying to find a property where they can have a multi-generational experience. There's only a certain number of properties that can fit their needs. And the reason I know their whole story, they told me their whole story because I asked some curious questions. And frankly, I've known them for a long time. And every time I'm out running, I see the wife out walking and we'll I'll stop running and talk to her for a minute. She'll tell me what she's going through. And when I listen to the scenario then i can figure out the product if you are the one who can't stop talking you can't really catch the nuances of their story so that you can serve now take real estate out of it that's a life skill we all need and i've told my kids that i said the more you are curious about other people the more they will tell you the more they tell you the easier it is for you to figure out what you can do to be helpful what you can do to serve them, how you can be in relationship with them. And it's not that you're giving over your whole life to somebody else, but you can really be helpful. And that's a different mindset than the take, take, take mentality, which the taking mentality goes along with that scarcity mindset that you mentioned earlier, because you believe there's not enough out there, so let me grab what I can get. That abundance mindset matches up with the curiosity way of approaching relationships. It says, the more I learn, the more I can serve. And that's all abundance. I just, I have to hope it's sinking in because since they're teenagers, I don't have the foggiest idea what's working and what's not. So I guess in five or seven years, I'll find out. That's what I keep hearing.
0: I love that. I love that. I am taking so many notes, by the way. That's why I keep looking down. Um, no, I just love what, what you were talking about. Cause I, I can, be a more introverted person. I'm a structural engineer by trade. And throughout my life, what I've noticed is I'm more of the quiet one. I just love listening to people. I just My, my brain just keeps going and going and going. And I just love absorbing what people have to say because I've always approached life with, with this sort of humbleness that I don't know everything. I'm never going to know everything. There's a lot more smarter people around there than me Or have different perspectives that i would love to to learn about and so that combined with me also being vulnerable i'm not afraid to let people know what i struggle with all of those things like i've found i i don't catch on very quick i'm like a typical man like it i it takes me many 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 repetitions to finally learn things but what i've learned for myself because i i came from the same school of thought of well I'm an engineer I'm not a salesperson I hate sales because you know a salesperson is this uh, gregarious person who's very extroverted and can say all the smoothest things and that that's what was going on in my head and that's why I love being an engineer because I could be stuck behind a computer but when you get into real estate or entrepreneurship or anything like that you have to you have to sell you have to know how to sell and I just love what you're talking about because it's it's really one discovering who you are authentically and i know that word gets thrown around in social media as well way too much but it's really just understanding the type of person you are and then using those strengths and the more authentic you're you're going to be around somebody they feel that and i think at the end of the day we're all just looking for that kind of connection and active listening connection being vulnerable connection and the more connection you can have with somebody that by itself is is sales but it's it's not selling for selling purposes because what you're trying to do is you're trying to solve problems for people you're trying to show them the way you know dale carnegie is great at that show somebody what they want and they will move mountains to get to it so i just appreciate you saying that because you know i, I was on a, a coaching call with my mentor yesterday and i'm i'm Six months divorced, it was a, a decade, and now I'm wanting to start a family, meet somebody new, and all these insecurities start coming out of 12 plus years ago. And I'm just like thinking in my mind, okay, I need to be this suave guy who goes up, is very interesting, and this and that. And and he told me, he's like, you know, I, I have these like insecurities. Oh, I'm a beta, how do I become an alpha male? And this and that. And he's like, He's like, Ace, like, you just need to be yourself. If you are the best version of yourself, you are going to operate at such a high energy level. You are going to attract somebody who is authentically being their self as well. And that's all you need to do is be more of yourself, be your best version, keep your commitments to yourself, be in line. And it was just this huge weight fell off of me. So whether you're trying to look for a partner or you're trying to make sales or anything like that, it's it's all about really just being yourself.
1: Well, and and you think about it too, the idea that we think we know what salespeople look like is very similar to in your head, what you think an alpha male looks like, but an alpha male looks like somebody who is thoughtful and caring and protective of the person they're with. And that can be demonstrated by opening the door for this person when you're on a date with them and just saying, are you, are you good? Are you chilly? Is the temperature in the car okay? It's those kinds of, let me be thoughtful about what your needs are that demonstrate what an alpha male is. The, I think the beta person is the one who sits back and lets everything happen to them. An alpha person says, let me make sure we've got a better environment. And that includes this person I'm with. So maybe you're an alpha and you just in your head thought it was going to look like the big burly triangle man with sleeve tattoos. But then, you know, I just have to question sleeve tattoos. What are you investing in? That's thousands of dollars. Shouldn't you be buying a rental house? And so that's just a different set of questions altogether.
0: Oh, the more tattoos I see these days, the happier I am that I never got one. Not because I don't like tattoos, because trust me, I grew up in California. Like I grew up very liberal Thank goodness I moved to the South and uh, got a little common sense to me we won't jump into that whole topic, but um, yeah it's 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 crazy and I, I appreciate you saying that um, one thing I want to jump into you have the slogan "Just say hi," and this kind of goes into the the whole um, communication sales process. Can you talk to us a little bit about your tagline Well
1: what's interesting about it that's how I've built my business I mean truly I will speak to everybody and it's almost a Southern thing. And I've discovered this in the 23 years I've done full-time real estate. Charlotte has changed a lot. A lot of people have moved here. We're one of the fastest growing areas. In fact, people from the West coast come here. We call them economic refugees because they're looking for jobs and lower taxes. And we say, well, just come on. And so when we look at how the growth has occurred, certain things have changed. When I got into the business, everybody had a church home. Well, not everybody goes to church anymore. Everybody had a favorite NASCAR driver at that time. Not everybody pays attention to NASCAR anymore. And so there's those kinds of shifts that happen. And then I look at going to the mall, which totally dates me because I grew up in the 70s and 80s and we went to the mall, that was our community. It's where you said, you spoke to people. And in the South, we've always been known for saying, hey to people when you walk past them like, hey, don't know them never saw them before but we say hey we don't just walk past them and when I first got into real estate that's so disconcerting for somebody from New York New Jersey from somewhere in a different environment They're like what who are these people speaking to me I'm like it's just people speaking that's starting to dilute a little which makes my heart sad because there is a a huge difference in how a society behaves when you're noticed by the people around you and I don't mean noticed as in a a negative way where you're being stalked or aggression, but the, I see you, you're human, you're here. The COVID era, I think exacerbated that because so many people under these crazy lockdown rules that were put upon us and all of the bad information that we can now look back and see how much bad information was being used to govern us. And hopefully people of all political persuasions will take a hard look at those policies and say, There had to have been a better way to not allow an overreach like we saw. We can be smart and thoughtful without being aggressed upon, basically. But the lockdowns separated people. People were told, do not talk to each other. Do not hug each other. In fact, that other human is just a bag of germs. He might be carrying something. Instead of seeing that other human as the Imago Dei. So you said it before, you know, we're all a child of God. Well, we're all told we're made in the image of God. God has lots and lots of images because each one of us is so unique. But during the COVID era, we've been told the other person is a carrier of something. Wait, what? What if that other person is just experiencing the loss of a parent and they need another human to say, I see you, honey, come here, let me hug you. I hugged all kinds of people during the pandemic era, scared some of them because they weren't ready for hugs. To a human, after I hugged even reticent people, they were like, oh, I needed that. I'm like, I know you did. Because as humans, we are built for connection. We are built for seeing each other, hearing each other. And we're actually not built for ideological purity. We're not built for being in silos. We're built for being with people different than us. We're built for being with people that are wildly different backgrounds and experiences so we can sit down and break bread and say, well, how about that? And that's a huge thing that we lost. So when I look at the way my business continues to grow and the way that I approach my life in general, if we can start with step one, we're going to have to go back to what used to be so natural is now going to be a new learned skill of just say hi. And that's to somebody you don't know. And it's not that you're saying hi, so I can sell you something. It's time for you to buy a house. No, it's, Hey, I see you, what's your name? Oh, well, welcome. You, are, you, are you from this area? Where'd you go to high school? I mean, I love to ask people lots of questions, but it all starts with saying hi to them. And some people right now, Ace, they're freaked out when you speak to them because they're so accustomed to life on this poisonous little device. These yeah. things are separating us from one another because we have this mindset that this is a relationship, this is not, this is surface. So to me, when you take that person with whom you've interacted on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever, and now you see them at the grocery store, and, and I've watched this with my kids. They have a really hard time speaking to the human, and it's the human that they can interact with behind a screen. Because in person, we're, we're really messy. We are people who are maybe don't smell great sometimes and we say things that get us in trouble and maybe we don't look as perfect as we did online. And so all of that starts to create a a real disconnect that has to get solved if we're going to fix anything about the way our society operates. I have found there are people when I've said hello to them, I know I'm the first person that spoke to them today. I can tell because their reaction is really stilted. But then you look at some of the research, so physiological research has shown for decades that for optimal physical health, you need 10 hugs a day. And I don't know that most humans get 10 hugs a day, even within their family circle, because again, the COVID era told us don't hug anybody, don't shake a hand, social distancing, stay away from other people. Well, no wonder we have these high levels of emotional distress. We have record high levels of suicide. We have record high levels of divorce. We have told people, to distance yourselves. My life goal, stop the distancing and let's get closer together because the humanity and connection is bigger than any sales results you're ever going to get. And spoiler alert, when you're connected to people, you'll sell more. It's like an extra perk (laughs) instead of the be all end all.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I love that. Um, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. Amazing. Yeah, I'm I am old enough to remember when the internet first started blowing up and everyone's like, oh, we're going to be more connected than ever. You know, you can connect with somebody over in India or things like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a form of communication. However, it's not interpersonal. And I believe that that is so important because as humans, and I can get into the neuros, I can geek out on the neuroscience of it, but, you know, there's, there's a chemical called tachykinin Where if you don't have those, those personal connections and relationships, like, and we're talking real person to person relationships, physical, um, uh, and you get more depressed, you get more aggressive. You know, it's no wonder these, uh, I don't even know what they call them, the people online that just, you know, throw trash out to everybody and try to knock everybody down. It's like, well, yeah, they've isolated themselves behind a screen day in and day out uh, their, their bodies are physically and chemically changing. And, um, I, I love how you talked about, uh, multiple hugs a day. There's also so much evidence how long you hug somebody and how you hug somebody right, like that, 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 that it's pers- the release
1: of endorphins.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I believe it's from, I'm, I'm a big Andrew Huberman fan, uh, neuroscientist and all that. And I think he was talking about, uh, studies showing that if you hug somebody for like six or seven seconds, and how many times do you hug people that long? And I, I'm sure you hug people that long a lot more than I most did. people.
1: After I read his stuff, I was I made a conscious effort to hug longer. And it is wild. If you hug somebody that long, their body releases at about that six or seven second mark and they just release into it. They're like, oh my gosh, that was that was different. I'm like, I know, right? Because you have to, you have to get past your own walls. And that's, this goes back to everything else. Like we put up all these defensive mechanisms because we are afraid of being rejected, which goes back to you and your dating life. And so you're gonna have all these walls up because of your past hurts. So you're gonna really not wanna be close to somebody. But then the minute they break through, well, now we have to accept who we are because they're about to find out. Well, if they find out who we are and we haven't accepted it, you're gonna have a disconnect too. And, and hugging is where it all starts, it's wild. But then we've also hit this place as a, a culture that says, well, that's it's all sexual. It's not all sexual stuff, it's human stuff. Now, if you're a married person, probably shouldn't be just hugging the opposite <laughs> sex for long periods of time, because that can cause trouble, but that's a whole different topic. It's just thinking your way through these things helps you try something different and maybe, for your viewers and listeners to try something different is hug somebody for six seconds next time. You'll notice how long six seconds takes because it feels like forever, but the physical reaction is wild. It is wild because you might be the one that starts crying because you initiated the hug, but then you felt your chemical balance move too. It's cool, cool stuff. The human body's amazing. I mean, what a great design that all these little interacting pieces that we take for granted sometimes can change everything.
0: I'm with you 100%. 100% on that. All right. Well, I know we've gotten into a lot of things. We haven't talked much about your services. Um, first of all, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you?
1: LeeBrown.com is the easiest one. And I like how you spelled it earlier, although this is the only real way to spell it. I'll point that out. L-E-E is a pair of jeans. That's just the way it goes. But (laughs) L-E-I-G-H, Brown.com, all my social handles are there. A lot of videos. I am very, very video focused with what I put out into the world. And my cooking show is there, which was my project I started during the pandemic and all of my sales and motivational resources, plus my actual real estate business is there. So that's where everything is located. And frankly, my offerings change pretty much every month because as I mentioned before, I'm a medium age person trying to figure out what the next phase looks like.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And I know you work a lot with brokers and realtors and things like that. And as I've been in my real estate journey, friends see what I'm doing. Some of them have become like limited partners in some of my deals and things like that. But one of the things that, that I constantly get asked, and I've never been an agent, I've never been a broker or anything like that, but a lot of my friends want to jump into real estate. And a lot of people believe that the first way to do that is become a realtor. What do you tell somebody that has approached you saying, hey, Lee, I want to, be, I want to get into real estate. I want to be a realtor. Like, what do I do? What do you ask those people? Because I feel like it's kind of like the, not the easy way in, but the most widely known way to get in but as you and I both know, that might not necessarily be the best course of action for somebody. So what what do you when somebody approaches you about being a realtor, and I'm asking selfishly for some of my friends that are listening that have recently asked me this, but what kind of questions do you ask them even before you say, Okay, yeah, this is how you do it. Here's the coursework, blah, 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 blah.
1: Well, first of all, I tell them to go watch the video that I made a couple of years ago. It says, Should I become a real estate agent? Because I love to use video as a way to not replicate conversations. So that's the first thing I tell them. But then I have to ask them, do you have six months worth of emergency savings piled up? Because you will not make money right away in real estate unless you are lucky. And if you're lucky, you're probably going to spend it because you're going to think you're the special one. And we've all had that lucky hit and it does not repeat itself. So after they've gotten some money saved up, I ask them what they know about real estate, and what I find is that what most people know about real estate is comes from two schools. One school is they watched HGTV. That's, that's not real life. That is edited for TV. The buyer couple looks at three houses with their agent who says and provides no value. They land on the middle house, and everybody's happy. That's not what it looks like. The other school of information they come from with real estate is their own personal transaction. And there are a lot of people who have gotten into real estate because they were tangled up with a terrible real estate agent and i totally understand that there's a mentality that says if you can make that kind of money and you're an idiot what could i do because i'm not an idiot and so people jump into it thinking that they could make it easier but go back to what you and i talked about a while ago real estate is so interesting because it is this very very messed up bundle of emotion and money and a lot of people that get into real estate are either overly focused on the emotion. Those are the people who say, but I love people. That's why I want to get in not enough, or they are overly analytical. And those are the people that love houses. You've got to have a mix of a love for people and a love for the product you sell for it to work. Then you have to know you're going to have to build some kind of a mentor relationship because the, the information is a mile deep for what you need to know in real estate. It's so much more than the house. Do you know the builder and do you know what the county required of the builder in the way of codes and permits? And what do you know about the elected officials in the county and what they're doing for regulatory affairs when it comes to real estate? And what do you know about the infrastructure and the water and sewer and what situation with power and what we're doing with growth and where are the jobs coming in? And what's going on with the schools and are there homeschools and charter schools and parochial schools and what's going on? with school? And you realize, holy crap, I have to know all of those things in addition to unlocking a door and letting somebody in. Now, for the people who heard me list all that stuff, they're like, oh, oh, you belong in real estate. And there's always room for great people who are disciplined and eyes wide open about how impactful real estate is, because there's a lot of people that are retiring from real estate because they made a lot of money in the COVID era, frankly, and they're older. And they've said, I just don't want to go through another economic turmoil, which we can all see is coming, whether... You want to blame it on somebody or not? Let's just say that you can't print that many dollars and not have the effects of it be long-term. So the ones that are retiring are going to open up market share. So who's going to take it? Well, if you're the one that says, I want to learn it all, I want to serve the public, I want to be a voice for reason, I want to help people make a great decision when it comes to their biggest financial decision, then by all means, you should go get your license and find a mentor and dial right in. If you thought it was about dressing up and driving around and unlocking a door and getting paid, then this is probably not the pathway you want to take because you will find out that real estate is far, far more difficult than anybody ever told you. And it is far more rewarding than you ever expected.
0: I love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you for, for, putting it in, in those terms, I feel like it is so important. Cause like anything else, you know, it, it depends what you're going into it for. And if you just want to, yeah, for, for a guy wear a nice suit and drive a nice car and just, you know, act all important and everything it's, uh, yeah, you're not going to make it very far, especially
1: probably broke. And if you think about one of the greatest books ever written is the millionaire next door. And what he talks about there is that the people who are wildly successful, you might not even realize it because they don't show all the signs of success. The people who are putting on all the flash, be very thoughtful before you follow those people because they may be taking you down a lane of destruction.
0: That's right. That's right. So that's why I drive a little Toyota Tacoma. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that. Hey every rich dad will say that is a liability i have made my tacoma and this is a a a discussion for another time but i actually make money every time (laughs) i get into that truck and it's not because of the job it's literally because i drive it and uh yeah it's uh yeah if i if i can when i find my future spouse and she loves me for me and we'll jump into that tacoma That's true love right there. (laughs) That's a keeper. So, uh, awesome. Let's jump into a couple quick superhero questions. So I don't know if you have a nickname or a superhero name, but if you don't, or if you do, what would your superhero name be?
1: Well, again, you are not a cussing show, but my nickname is the no bullshit realtor, which was given to me by my clients because I am a very unfiltered person, obviously but I am very skilled at sharing what the bottom line options are without a lot of emotion or judgment. And that was really important in the great recession because I was dealing with a lot of people who were upside down in their houses. They owed more than it was worth. There was a lot of job loss and everything was just really a financial emotional mess. And too many people in real estate were still stuck in the, it's a great time to buy or sell. And they would just say what they'd always said, very robotic. Mm -hmm. And I'd walk in and be like, look, we got some options. They're not pretty and they're tough, but here they are. And so I would lay it all out and that built my business faster than anything else could have. And I still think that's one of my skills that I can listen to the whole picture and spot a bottom line and I can spot alternatives. Now, I'm not always going to land on the perfect one. I'm not suggesting at all that I always have the answer, and that I know everything, but I can absolutely cut through and see what the answer is. I'm very allergic to the current trend of word salad, which is why AI is not my friend. I have played with it and I have typed in some things. And it spits out word salad, and I'm like, "You could have said that in ten words or less, but you rambled on like you were trying to hit a 500-word essay for your tenth-grade English teacher."
0: That's right. That's right. I've I've played around with that too, and you're absolutely right. I end up editing it to the point that I should have just wrote it myself.
1: Right. I mean, we think it's this time saver to start with the framework, but the framework might not even be the right framework. So, what if we just yeah rely upon our own brains. And we think about the skills we were taught by dedicated teachers decades ago and don't undermine what they taught us. Let's just brush it off and get back to it.
0: That's right. That's right. I love that. So the no BS realtor, that is a phenomenal name. What, okay. Lee, the no BS realtor Brown, what are some of your superpowers?
1: Let's see. One of my superpowers is that nobody cries alone in my presence. So I will cry with anybody. And I have found that is a superpower because of what we talked about earlier. There's this desperate need for connection. And if somebody is going through something, they need you. One of my other superpowers is encouragement. I am an encourager and I will help people that I've never even met before will start with me and I will turn them around and I'll even give you an example of this. I'm a member of the National Speakers Association and we had a mastermind group last week. And there were two ladies in my breakout group and both of them are early career when it comes to speaking. Well, they kept calling themselves baby speakers. And I finally said, I'd like your permission to give y'all some truth because I do love asking permission. I'm a Seth Godin fan big time. Yep. And they both said, absolutely, because I'm at a different level than where they currently are. I said, every time y'all call yourselves baby speakers, you're diminishing what you bring to the table. I said, you have got to stop diminishing yourself when you have life experiences and you have skills and talents to bring forward. Why would you diminish that before the words come out of your mouth? And I watched both of them have that aha moment of, I don't need to diminish myself in order to grow in a space. So that's one of my talents. I can encourage people by telling the truth. I'm never going to be ugly to them because if I said, you got to stop that and it's wrong and start shaking, it doesn't work. But to tell, ask permission first and then say, look, I see something in you that you don't see yet, but you have to get out of the way. I, I think it's a talent that I can use for good all the time and the world, frankly, I think needs more encouragers and less canceling.
0: Yeah, I love that. Being able to see something in someone else that they don't see themselves so many times. It's the ability to encourage people, like you said, that really is kind of that that breakthrough for them. Because yeah, like we talked about the stories we tell ourselves, we, we're so ingrained in our story that it. we need people like yourself who are able to recognize those things so we can pause for a second, evaluate it, become aware of it. And then once you're aware of it, well, now you can change. And that is such a powerful superpower to have.
1: And I can tell you that I know this because as I mentioned before, I was so quiet as a kid and a young person. I, You did not hear my voice. I didn't know what it sounded like. And when I got into real estate, I just, I just started selling houses. I'm just chunking at it, still just working in my space. And then I met a gentleman. He has uh, passed away some several years ago, but he was an instructor in real estate. His name was Alan Hange and he was from Virginia. He was amazing. Alan wanted me to be on a panel of top producing realtors to share what I was doing. I said, I can't, I don't get on stages. I don't touch microphones. I'm not a public speaker, not a chance, not a chance. Alan must have asked me 35 times and he would not stop. And so finally, just so he'd leave me alone, I said, I'll be on the freaking panel, fine. And so I get up on the stage and it's me and a friend of mine who is top notch agent in Manhattan doing way more business than I'm ever going to ever see. And then one of my heroes from the Chicago area that I was in all of, and then a young guy who was killing it in the Boston area. I'm like, and you got a little old country bumpkin over here. What is going on? And so I then I found out after I had gotten over my fear of sitting on the stage with these powerhouses, with a microphone, that there were people in the audience that reacted to me that did not react to them, just as there were people that reacted to them and not to me. So it was all about the balance of reaching the audience. And after that experience, I said, "I I have something I can give here. This is not what I thought it was. And so that's when I started to discover the gift that I have for public speaking, but it all goes back to Alan because Alan preened and bragged every chance he got, I put Lee Brown on the stage first. And he said, I knew you could do this. I saw it in you. And he told me so many times, I saw this in you before you did. And I will tell people till the day I die, I would not be where I am today if Alan had not seen something in me that I could not see because I had my own blinders on. And if he had not persisted in making me give at least a chance at what he saw in me. And so there's a, there's a message here of noticing other people, look for their talents. And when you see something in them, tell them. Don't just tuck it away in the back of your head and don't just go on social media and friend them. Go tell them. I love, you said what you said about X. I love this, I love that. It's the same reason I see a lady in a pretty dress at the grocery store. I will walk right over to her and say, what a pretty dress on you. And people are shocked when you notice them. And it's it's just so impactful because where would I be if Alan had not spotted me? I'd probably still be doing great selling houses, but I wouldn't have had this expansive set of opportunities that came because he wouldn't give up on me with a message that I was unable to hear myself. So I have to pay it forward. And so I've become a little bit of what Alan was, although, you know, I'll never be Alan, not supposed to be, I'm supposed to be Lee Brown, but I can take what I learned from him and I can scale it. That's
0: right. That's right. That's incredible. All right. Last question. Who are some of your real life superheroes?
1: Well, obviously, um, Alan has passed away, but for me, his superpower was the spotting ability that he had. My dad and my mom are, of course, my superheroes. My mom, because she is the sweetest person you will ever meet. And her superpower is in any room full of people, there is one crazy person who needs to talk for 45 minutes without breathing they will be magnet drone to my mother and she will sit there and listen to whatever craziness they unload until they finally walk away and she looks around and says, what just happened? It's in every room. <laughs> it's an amazing power. The rest of us appreciate that because it means the crazy person is sequestered for 45 minutes. My dad's superpower is just his sheer lovability. And I think it's very unique in real estate, which does have a lot of confrontation and There are agents out there that do have a little bit of a cutthroat mentality. My dad is of the service mindset. He's always been a servant leader. And when you meet anybody who knows my dad, they're like, I love your dad. And there's not many people in life who generate that from male, female, old, young, doesn't matter who they are. I love your dad. I'm like, I know. And so when I was installed the state realtor president, my dad was my installing officer. And of course, in the room after that, like, I want your dad to adopt me. And so that's his superpower that it's hard to even articulate it until you watch the man in action and you see all the people just swarm over to him. And there's something to be said for that accidentally magnetic person who's not doing it because they want to be an influencer or because they want the attention. He just organically draws people in. And I think it all goes back to him being a servant leader. And then if I'm looking at the other heroes that are in my life, I'd be remiss if I didn't give the number one and that's my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he's the one perfect person that lived and here I am this flawed human and yet he gave it all for me and I can screw up and I'm still loved and I can make mistakes and I am still loved and I can always strive to do better because it's always this journey and doesn't matter what I'm doing or where I'm at, he's right with me. And then to my friends and to your listeners who don't know him yet, I can tell you this. He knows you before you know him. And the coolest thing about my Jesus is that the minute you're willing to even have a conversation with him or you're going to yell at him because you're mad about your life, he's there. And I love that so much. And so it's a it's a chance for all of us to think through how we can be just a little bit more like the the guy who's willing to get yelled at cussed at loved on and frankly only called on when things are rough and he's always there so that's a little bit
0: incredible no i'm i i uh oh man i don't want to get too much into it but i've been watching uh i've been watching a netflix show recently called the chosen it's so good so yeah good. yeah last night i watched the last episode of season three which is actually on amazon prime but he had said to uh, to Simon Peter, he was like, keep your eyes on me when he was walking on the water. And it was just, I just started bawling, like such a powerful story, such a powerful man. And yeah, he is, in my opinion, the superhero of all superheroes. And so I really appreciate you saying that. And then we um,
1: Peter, right? Peter didn't even realize he was walking on the water and then he looks, oh, oh, oh. And then he, he just can't stop himself from just getting distracted. Oh, he screws up so many times. He says, I won't, I won't leave you, Jesus. Well, maybe I will. Actually, this is kind of tough. And man, I identify with him. But that's one thing I love about when you, when you dial into books like the Bible, you realize maybe we're not as unique and special as we think because people have come before us that have done all the same mistakes. But here they are being talked about thousands of years later in a positive light. So maybe if I just keep persevering sometime later, somebody will look back on me and they find a positive imp- impetus for themselves. And so there's a, so many stories, whether somebody's a believer or not, just to find ways to grow.
0: Yeah. Just grow and give and really ask yourself the question. If I died today, would I have made an impact? Cause I believe everybody really wants to make an impact On other people's lives their family their community what what be it so yeah take a look at yourself and be like am am i walking today as a person who is making an impact in the world and it's really not that difficult it's just changing your perspective and saying you know what are the two or three things today that i can do to be that type of person i'm not going to be that person 24 7. i'm going to grow into that person but if you could do one or two things today to be a more loving person, to be a more compassionate person, to be even like shoot, you want to lose weight and 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 uh become fit. Well, what would that person do today? Well, they'd maybe go for a walk. They would maybe not order fast food. What have you? And as you're making those decisions every single day, you are just going to change your life. And for me, I I read my Bible every morning and I'm like, "Okay, what are the two things I could do today to be more like Jesus?" Because I'm not going to be him. I can only be Ace. I right. cannot be Jesus. I was not called to be it. I will never be it. I won't, unfortunately, We're we probably- we yeah. not
1: expected to be. It's, it's
0: really I don't crazy. have to get. I don't have to get crucified. Sweet. <laughs> well, that version of, of it. But no. we don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, amazing. Hey, I know we talked about a whole bunch of things today. If there's one thing that you can leave with the audience today, what would it be?
1: It would be to do what you just said, make, make some tiny choice and then own the outcome of that choice because there's going to be a cumulative effect. And so maybe that choice is saying, hi to a stranger at the grocery store. Maybe that choice is walking to the end of the driveway. If you are not an exercise person, maybe that choice is putting this thing down for two hours and not looking at it. And then start to notice the cumulative effects of A, noticing other humans, B, noticing yourself and your health, and noticing that if you take away some of the negatives, the positives start to fill that space.
0: That's right. Yeah, because when you take something out, something has to fill it back in. That is a law of nature. And so what, what are you going to fill it in with? And that's the cool thing is you have the choice. You have the opportunity to fill it with whatever you want. So I really appreciate you saying that. I really appreciate everything you've said today. It, it has been an incredible conversation. So, thank you so much for coming on. For everybody listening, once again, this is Lee Brown, L E I G H. She is not a pair of jeans. Thank you. Lee Brown. Check out her website, leebrown.com. So much fun having you on. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be here.
1: Well, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me on the show. And I wish you and all of your viewers and listeners a high level of success.
0: I appreciate that. So for everybody listening, Superhero by Design podcast, you could be spending your time doing anything with whomever, but you've chosen to be here with me and my fantastic guest, just like Lee Brown. And I just really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for checking this out. And remember, with great power there must also come great responsibility. And like that, he's gone. Case out.